0: Guys, this is not the time where you're kicking yourself thinking, oh, I've got a present. It's not the time to sneak out to Tesco's and get a tin of beans, okay? okay. If you haven't met me before, my name's Jack. Um, please come up to me at the end if you've not met me and say hi. I'd love to get to know you. Uh, I work for King's Church at the moment as a volunteer. and In my role at the church, I get given lots of different jobs to do. Some good, some not so good. But um, today I think it's a good one. You might think otherwise, but... I get to talk to you guys about our series Nuts and Bolts. In this series, we've just been looking at the nuts and bolts, the basic mechanics of what makes up a decent Christian life. So this is week seven, and we're going to be looking at the topic of faith. For those of you who'd like a top uh, title for today, I, it's called Just Step Out. Okay? And for reasons, I hope that will become apparent later. But before we start, I just want to pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the, that we can come and worship you. Thank you for the truths we were hearing during worship, the fact that you love us, that you sent your son. And I just want to pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and you would speak to us today, that you would anoint my words because it's no good if I just speak and say a lot of truth, but you are not in it. You are not ministering to your people. And I want to pray that you would help me in this time as I speak your word. And I just want to pray that we are true and we are faithful to you. And I want to ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, in a moment, we will be looking um, in our Bibles. And for those of you who know your Bibles and thinking faith, hang on, probably clocked it already. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11. If you would like a Bible and you haven't got one, please put your hands nice and high in the air. And it looks like Francis is going to be dishing them out. Okay. Okay. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and if you have one of our church Bibles, this is page 1209. While you turn there, I'll just be talking to you. Faith is a big topic, okay? There is a lot that can be said on faith. Um, In fact, the Protestant, during the Protestant Reformation, they were often throwing this phrase around called sola fide, which means by faith alone. And this is understandable, because in our English Bibles, the English word faith, comes up one form or another over 400 times it is this book that tells us that we are saved by faith alone it tells us that we are justified by faith we receive righteousness by faith we have access to God's grace by faith we do the works of God by faith we receive the promise of the spirit by faith and we wait for Christ's return in faith so faith is not only a big topic but it's a vital topic We must get to grips with this idea of faith. So, to help us do that this morning, I've done two things. I've split the morning into two different halves. The first half, we're just going to get a definition of faith. We've got to get to grips and understand what faith actually is. The second half this morning, we're going to look at how we can grow in faith. We're going to look at a few examples from the Bible and see how these teach us to practically step out in faith. So... The first half of this morning, what is faith? What actually is it? Well, I got an answer to this very question while watching a film. And the film I was watching was called Angels and Demons. Yeah, okay, I can see that we've kind of split the church into three camps here. The first camp is going, Angels and Demons? Was this a good film, Jack? What did this actually teach me about the spiritual realm that I am going to encounter? Others of you are going, Angels and Demons? Whoa, Jack, are you actually a Christian? And then there's the third camp going, get on with it, Jack. Let's move on. Okay, don't worry, I'm still a Christian. And if you're not following this, this is the sequel to Dan Brown's film and very successful book, The Da Vinci Code. Now, in Angels and Demons, it has the same lead guy played by Tom Hanks. And we all love Tom Hanks. He's done some brilliant films. But in this film, he's employed by the Roman Catholic Church to save them from various different murders that are happening in the Vatican. And during this process, he speaks to a lot of different clergymen in the Roman Catholic Church. And at one point, he's talking to one priest. And the priest suddenly says to him, Do you believe in God? To which Tom replies, "Uh, No. I'm an academic. I use reason. I guess you could say I've just not found faith yet. Now, I thought this was an interesting idea brought across by this film. Basically, Dan Brown is pitching throughout the entire film, Faith Against reason. It's a big battle. And this got me thinking. I found it thought provoking. So before this sermon, I decided to look up a definition of faith in the dictionary. One of the definitions in the dictionary actually defines faith as a firm belief in something of which there is no proof. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning, I've lived my life with that kind of faith. As a fan of Liverpool, This season, I've often seen them, yeah, I have, seen them losing by a fair amount of goals. And I've said, I have faith that they can bring it back, even though there's no evidence of this. And in fact, all the evidence is pointing in the polar opposite direction. But is this the Christian faith? Is this the faith that Christians are to build their lives upon? No. That couldn't be further from the truth. Christianity is built on firm historical fact. It's based on the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It was set in Israel over 2,000 years ago. And we have historical documents backing this up. Did you know that several of your gospel accounts in your Bible are written by eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, who saw his resurrection. And these were written down within a lifetime after Jesus' death. And we even have other evidence, other contemporary historic evidence that backs these up. Evidences from people who aren't Christians, yet they still claim that Jesus was alive, that he had a band of followers, that he did miracles, and even note the resurrection. So the Christian faith is not a firm belief of something of which there is no proof. So if it's not that, what is the Christian faith? What is it? If only our Bibles had a definition of what faith is. With that in mind, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you're still looking for it, good luck. It's page 1209, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Brilliant. We have a definition. But we have a little problem. The NIV, which normally does a very good translation of the Bible, has made a bit of a mistake. And I think it's unhelpful here. The NIV has translated the original Greek word, hypostasis, as being sure, when it can be translated as confidence or assurance. Now, who has an ESV Bible? Anyone? Good, well done, well done. Yeah, the extra smug version. Let's read this, as I think it does a much better job. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So, this brings us back to our evidence for Christianity. We may not have seen Jesus. We may not have seen his resurrection or his miracles. But we do have accurate documents that we can trust, that we can put our faith in. The Reformers and the Puritans, who were great Christians of faith, said that when commenting on this passage, said that there are three things that make up faith. The first thing is knowledge of the truth. The second thing is acceptance of that truth. And the third thing is lastly, trust. This seems simple enough. For example, when I was 10, when I was at primary school, we did a visit to Blacklands Farm in West Sussex near Weirwood Reservoir. Has anyone been there? A few of you. For those of you who haven't been... This is a huge adventure park. It's great. There's lots of activities to do. There's things like abseiling, rock climbing, canoeing, kayaking, a zip wire. It's fantastic. Now, the first activity I wanted to do was abseiling. And I couldn't have hoped to do that. I couldn't have wanted to do that if I had no knowledge of that, if I didn't know the existence of abseiling. I needed to know the truth that it was an option for me to do, and I needed to know the truth of what abseiling actually is. I needed knowledge and acceptance. Now, as for trust, this is a huge part of trust. If not, this is a huge part of faith, sorry. If not faith itself. I'm going to give you one last piece of Greek here. Okay? The Greek word translated as faith in this passage is the Greek word pistis. It does not have one English equivalent for its translation. It can be translated as believe or trust. So whenever you see any of those three English words in your Bible, faith, believe, or trust, it's this Greek word, pistis. And of those three words, I think the most helpful is trust. Let me explain why. When I was preparing to go abseiling at Blackland's Farm, I got into the harness, I put on the helmet, and I got ready to scale the tower. Now, the tower probably wasn't that tall. But to me, at that age, it seemed huge. Huge. And I climbed to the top and I stood there and I waited. And when it got round to my go, I had the rope attached to my harness and I prepared myself to tip backwards over the edge. I knew the harness was there. I had even intellectually accepted that this rope was going to take my weight because I'd seen fatter kids than me go down absolutely fine. And this was pre-Jamie Oliver, so no healthy lunches. They were big kids. Okay? And so, I had the knowledge and the acceptance. To put it in the words of Hebrews, I had the confidence and the assurance. However, at that point in time, was I certain that that rope would support me? Was I 100% certain I was going to reach the bottom alive? No. In fact, It all changed in my mind. It was completely the opposite. I had convinced myself that this rope was going to snap. I was going to plummet to my death. I was terrified. But after a lot of um umming and ah ahhing and wobbly knees, I did it. I chose to just step out over the edge. I put my faith and my trust into that rope. At the top of this tower, I chose to put my faith in that rope. My act of faith was choosing to just step out. This is what the Christian faith is. It's not being 100% certain beyond the shadow of a doubt. It's not just a knowledge in some sort of truth. It is the choice to choose, to trust in what you have heard. It's an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of something not seen. So for Christians, what is this knowledge of truth? What is this thing that's not seen that we must put our trust in? We now have to think all the way back to week one of this nuts and bolts topic. Who did Rich tell us about in week one? Jesus. 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 That's right. Jesus is the most central part of Christianity. Jesus tells us in the book of John that I am the way, the truth, and the life. For us to put our faith and trust in Jesus, we must have some knowledge of him and then choose to trust him. So, This is why Christians must tell people the gospel. We must tell people the good news. If we don't, then people won't come to faith. So if you're here and you don't have faith, you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus, then I want to just take a few minutes to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is God. He came from heaven where angels proclaimed day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he came from there to earth. Jesus lived as a man subject to the law that he created. He lived the perfect life because we can't, because we've all sinned, we've all screwed up and fallen short of his glory. He has fulfilled the law that we couldn't and yet he was mocked, he was beaten, he was spat at. He heard the screams of crucify him, crucify him and then he bled and he died on a Roman cross in our place, in your place. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He diverted the wrath of God off of of us and onto himself. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Christ died for our sins. That is everyone's sins, everyone here, in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, And now he gives us the gift of his righteousness, his perfectness. And he gives us the gift of eternal life. And it doesn't end there. Jesus is still alive today. He is reigning and ruling in heaven. And he gives us the gift of a relationship with him. If only we put our faith in him. If only we trust him. You see, the Christian life is not a moral code. It is not a list of things you must do and you mustn't do. Do this and that and don't do that. And once you've done all that, then you'll be good enough for God. It is not that. The Christian life is one where you realise your failures and your faults and your inadequacies. And you realise that there is no way you can ever be good enough for God. So you look to Jesus. You fix your eyes on him. And you trust him. You have your faith in him. You trust that he has dealt with all of your sins on that cross at Calvary. As Rich says, a Christian is not a sin teetotaler. I did that once. (laughs) Never again. It's not that. A Christian is someone who stands up and says, I have a problem with sin. But I trust that Jesus can deal with it. That Jesus can help me and that his blood has cleansed me from all of my unrighteousness. This knowledge is clear in our Bibles, and it is clear enough for everyone to see and to understand. Trust me, think of anyone at all, and it's clear enough for them. Jesus tells us, for example, that he is the way. See, it's clear enough even for bus drivers to understand. You see, it also says that he is the truth, so politicians can understand. He's the resurrection, so that funeral directors can understand. He's the good shepherd. Farmers can understand. He's the door. Architects can understand. He's the alpha and the omega. Scientists can understand. It even says that he's the living water, so that even plumbers can understand. So there's a swap that is available to everyone. There's a swap where we get Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, his perfectness, and he gets our sin and our shame. And this swap, this divine exchange is for everyone you can think of, but it means trusting Jesus and trusting his word. This is totally different from what Dan Brown was putting across in his film Angels and Demons. Faith is not what the dictionary tells us. Faith, according to the Bible, is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. It's not a blind trust in the face of country evidence. It's not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, faith is a trust and a hope in the eternal God, a God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. Being a Christian is trusting God when he says, put your faith in me, follow me in where I am going and in what I'm going to do, because I want you to be part of it. Also, if you're a Christian here today, I want to remind you as well that faith is not a one-time thing. Oh, I put my faith in Jesus in 2006, and now it's job done. It's not that. Faith is intensely practical. It's not just waiting in anticipation for Jesus to come back. Faith moves. It acts. Faith is not stagnant. It affects your whole life, right down to the details. It affects your sexuality, your diet how you spend your money, how you speak, who your friends are, and so on. If it doesn't affect these things, then you are not really walking in faith. The whole Christian life is walking in faith as a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute, trusting in God and his word, even when you don't see it or understand it, knowing that he is wise and he is good. Now, I know that bringing this topic of faith up this morning has caused some of you to have a huge, gut-wrenching, sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. And you're just thinking, Jack, I am no man of faith. I'm not a woman of faith. So this takes me to the second half of today. How can we grow in faith? Romans 10.17 10, 10, 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So what, what's it saying then? Is it saying that we go over the road, we sit in Costa with a nice large coffee, and we just sit there, Chris is thinking that this is it, and we sit there waiting for the audible voice of God to come and speak to us, and then we'll receive faith. Then we can go out and do the works of God. No, it's not that. We have the revealed will of God. We have the word of Christ. So how can we hear that word of Christ? Oh come on, the Valentine's Day love's really got into your head and melted your brains, doesn't it? How can we hear the word of Christ? The Bible Yes. The Bible gives Christians the Word of God. The Bible gives us the guidance as to what God is like, as to what He wants us to do, as how we can act in faith. You need to saturate yourself with the word of God so you can see his will for your life, so you can understand his plan. You need to get stuffed on the Bible. I won't say too much more because Rich spoke about this absolutely brilliantly a couple of weeks ago. And if you haven't heard it, you can get it on our website. So you must get into the Bible. So on those words we better get into the bible let's dig into our bibles and hebrews chapter 11 we here in hebrews chapter 11 we have what's commonly known as the great hall of faith it literally gives us example after example of different people and how they specifically acted in faith so i want to just look at a couple of those examples just two examples this morning from that hall of faith and see how these people teach us to grow in faith so The first example of faith I'd like to look at is in Hebrews 11, verse 4, where, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now, the story of Cain and Abel is from way back in Genesis 4, right near the beginning of your Bibles. You can read it in your own time, but here's the gist of it. Abel and Cain are brothers. They both go to worship God. And back then in the Old Testament, worship was done through burnt offerings. And Abel brings to God one of his lambs. Cain brings to God some of his crops. However, Genesis 4 says that for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. God didn't care for it. It meant nothing. It was meaningless and worthless. But why? Hebrews tells us, it's because Cain, unlike Abel, didn't trust God. He didn't have faith in him. Hebrews then says, a few verses later, in, chapter, in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Cain's offering failed because he didn't trust God. But Abel's offering pleased God because he did trust him. He did have faith. In the chapter earlier, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They screwed up, and because of this, sin and death was brought into the world. In Genesis 3.21, it says that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The first death in the Bible was not Adam's, and it wasn't Eve's. But it was the death of a substitute who shed its blood in place of them, covering their guilt and their shame. It was here that God showed the kind of sacrifice that they ought to bring to him. So, when Cain brought his hard work from the crops of the field, it didn't involve the shedding of blood like God had said it should. Abel, on the other hand, brings the firstborn of his flock. And he brings to God the worship of which involved the shedding of blood like it should have. Whereas Cain, in his self-pride and his righteousness, thought... I have another way. By faith, Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's because he offered the sacrifice that God had established, pointing forward to the atoning work of Jesus. Abel showed an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of something not seen. Abel's worship was focused on God, unlike Cain's, which was focused on himself. He was just saying, look how good I am. Do you realize that when you come on a Sunday morning, when you stand up and you sing your songs to God, they are worthless to him unless you trust him, unless you put your faith in him. You see, God doesn't just see the action that you're doing, but he sees the motivation behind it. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you're singing songs on a Sunday morning or not. It doesn't please God unless you have faith in him, unless you are trusting him and following his lead. Our faith should always point to Jesus like Abel's faith did. And this is what pleases God, because without faith it is impossible to please God. So I want to ask you this this morning. Do you want to please God? I hope so, because I think this is the first step in walking in faith, a desire to please God. Because we want to please him, we trust him and live according to his word. We put our faith in the assurance of things hoped for, in the conviction of something not seen. The second example of faith I want to look at is in verse 7. And in verse 7 it says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark For the saving of his household, Noah trusted God, even though what he said seemed absurd. It seemed crazy. Noah was told to build an ark in the hope that it would rain and flood the whole earth. But he couldn't see this, he wasn't sure it was going to happen. I bet Noah constantly thought, what if? What if it doesn't rain? What if I end up looking like a right numpty, a foolish idiot? And yet, by faith, he still did it. He trusted God. He trusted in the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Think of times where you have heard God speak to you. You've heard him say something that seems absurd. Maybe, for example, you've been reading your Bible, and you see that God tells you to pray for the sick so that they can be healed. And you think, what if, what if they don't get healed? What if I pray for them, they don't get better, and I feel like a moron, a right idiot? I just don't feel like it's going to happen. I just don't think they're going to get healed. I'm not certain. Hang on, though. What do we trust in? Do we trust our feelings? It doesn't feel like they're going to get healed. I'm not certain. Think back to when I was abseiling. And I went over the edge. I just stepped out. What actually mattered? How strong my feelings were? Or was it how strong the rope was? It's the rope, isn't it? It, It's the same when we pray for people. We just step out. We just step over the edge and we trust in the strength of God. It's up to him if he heals them or not. We just have to trust that he's doing the right thing. We just have to step out and pray for people and give the situation over to God. The same goes with your money. You show your faith by trusting God, by putting your hand in your pocket and handing your gift over and trusting him. The same goes for um, when you turn away from sin or even when you're just telling your friend about Jesus. You trust in God. You trust in a conviction not seen. You trust in the assurance of things not seen. You see, you've got to understand this. God says that we choose, we decide to trust in him. Even though you think it's not going to work, even though you think it's all going to go wrong, just because you feel like that rope's going to snap and you're going to fall, doesn't stop you being a good person of faith. Because If you're still going through with it, if you're still praying for that person, giving your money, telling that person about Jesus, you have actually stepped over the edge. Those acts in themselves are steps of faith. So you have to step over the edge and let God take your weight. So I want to end with this this morning. If you don't feel like a great man or woman of faith, if you just don't feel it, you're not certain. I don't see how this is going to work. You can still be a great person of faith, but every time you read something in the Bible, you do it. You step out. You just step out and you do it. What about the bits I don't understand? I hear you all thinking it. I don't understand this. How do I do that? Well, for a start, do the bits you do understand. Just step out and do those. You simply trust in it and you do it. How did Abel, Noah, and all the guys in this list of faith spell faith? O-B-E-Y. Obey. It doesn't matter how you're feeling, you still need to obey. You just step out over the edge and let that rope take your weight. Trust God. Trust Jesus. Make a conscious decision today that Jesus is strong enough. That rope is going to take my weight. Jesus died on the cross to save my life, to save me from hell, to take away my sin, to allow me to be with him forever. So I'm going to step over the edge and let that rope take my weight. Then do it. Just step out and obey. Faith is like a muscle. The more you do it, the bigger it grows. When you put it under strain, it gets bigger and bigger, and it gets that ugly little vein on it, but it gets stronger as well. So start pumping that faith iron by doing what the Bible says, and then you will grow in faith. So to sum up and end, what is the Christian faith built upon? It's a trust in Jesus You choose to respond in faith to his word. It doesn't mean you are certain or you get a funny feeling inside. It means you're just going to obey. You're going to just step out and do what God says. And if you find that difficult, you look to Jesus. You fix your eyes on him. He is the saviour who took away your sin. He took away your heart of unbelief. He is the one who took your punishment. If you can't trust him, then who can you trust? Let's end in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you so much that you sent your son to die for us. I want to thank you that he went to the cross to take away our sin and our shame and to take the punishment that we deserve. And I I just want to pray, Father, that we can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can fix our eyes to him and that will give us the encouragement and the strength we need to follow your word, to just step out in faith and do your works. I want to pray for everyone here who doesn't feel like a great man or woman of faith. And I want to pray that you would help them, you would give them the opportunities to just step out and do what you say. I also want to pray for those here today who don't know you, Jesus, who are not Christians. And I want to pray that you would give them the ultimate step of faith by just trusting you, trusting in the work that you did at the cross. I want to ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.